Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. And even though it's the festive season with Santa not far away, the football never stops. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. And as always, we will run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly, and as always during the show, we'll be joined by our former ITN journal turned pundit, Derek Dyson. And with COVID again disrupting sporting calendars around the world, the A-Legs included, the relief at Perth Glory is palpable with players and staff now able to spend Christmas at home after reaching an agreement with the Queensland and Western Australian state governments to complete their isolation at home. The APL will charter a flight from Brisbane to Perth to bring the Glory squad out of hotel quarantine, allowing them to serve the remainder of their 14 days at home. Perth Glory CEO Tony Pinata was instrumental in making this deal. He'll join us first up to discuss how it happened and what he thinks may be the future of the season from here. Well, I'm after that, of course, with the latest on the Matildas and Socceroos. Then just over a month into the season, some are reporting that Western Sydney Wanderers manager Carl Robinson's position appears to be untenable, having won just two of his past 11 games. The Welshman admitted in his post-match media conference that he did not have the answers to Western Sydney's attacking problems which prompted former Socceroo and coach of the former coach of the women's Wanderers side Dean Heffernan to declare I can tell you Carl it's because JT CEO John Satsimas and Gavin Costello general manager of football operations have created the most toxic environment I've seen in 20 years of football well if that wasn't a mic drop moment I don't know what is we'll talk to veteran news limited journo Marco Monteverde about all that and of course we'll wrap it up with our extended stoppage time with Derek Edge, how are you, mate? Bangkok uh, on the eve of Christmas. I guess it's not a um, a, a celebratory sort of a period of the year as uh, uh, as we usually experience it in the humidity. But I've been to Thailand many, many times, and they love the festive season over there. Oh well, happy Festivus to you, Rob, and all the <laughs> listeners right around Australia and all over the world, wherever you're listening to our podcast from. Um, yeah, and what about that Scottish League Cup delight? Um, Ange Postacoglu and Tom Rogic and even Martin Boyle was probably the best player for Hibs. Three Australians taking centre stage in the Scottish Cup. Willem will tell us about that in a moment. But Rob, where does the League Cup in Scotland sit in the pyramid of football silverware? You know what? I don't think Ange or anyone at Celtic particularly cares edge, particularly in the context of what we're talking about. It's a, a situation where we all know the history of Ange arriving at the club and uh, and Stephen Gerrard taking Rangers uh, uh, to the title last season as Celtic attempted to, to go for the 10 uh, titles in a row. So, you know, the, the, just the, the passion in, in um, Glasgow is, is really enough to suggest that a piece of silverware, no matter what type of it is, is uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter what it is, is, I guess is what my answer is. Absolutely. And, and let's say uh, Merry Christmas or Happy Festivus or greetings of the season to Willem van Denderen, who has all the news. And no doubt he's going to tell us about how good Tom Rogic was. I am Michael. Thank you for your uh, your Yuletide uh, words. Let's yeah, let's start with Celtic. Uh, Tom Rogic was sensational, and he was central to something I want to point out here. So I want to take you back to early July when Andrew was first appointed manager of Celtic, and one of the first bits of footage that emerged was of him taking the uh, an early training session at Lennox Town. This is some of what he was drilling into his squad from pretty much day one. Just get it into your heads. We never stop. We never stop. We'll stop at half time and we'll stop at the end of the game when we celebrate. But during the game, we don't stop. If the opposition wants to stop, that's good for us. We'll f-ing take advantage of it. And that's exactly what we saw, guys. Twice in this match, Bernian switched off. Once from kickoff after they'd scored their own goal and once from a free kick later in the second half. And they were the two occasions on which Celtic uh, never stopped. They played on. Rogic was uh, the second of those to do so. And twice, Kyogo Furuhashi was on the end of it. So that's Ange's mantra being drilled into the squad and coming off on not the biggest of occasions. I think the answer to the question uh, you were looking for earlier, Michael, was it's third, the Scottish League Cup in the uh, the pyramid of Scottish football. But you've got to start somewhere. 
somewhere. Uh, that's one final from one for Ange in Scotland. But Rob, back to reality pretty quickly because there was a nil-all draw just three days later in the league with St Mirren, which leaves them six points behind Rangers. Yeah, it uh, it was uh, an unexpected result, wasn't it? Um, overnight, as we record, and uh, you know, Ange copped a bit of criticism and denied resting players. But uh, but what do you do? I mean, he, what choice does he have? I mean, he hasn't got uh, depth in the squad, but equally, uh, they've just won this trophy, and and the season is long. They're trying to run down Rangers, but uh, he has to to give some legs um, an opportunity to get a bit of a rest. So, you know, I guess it'll all play out in the context of the season, and given what we've seen so far, the Exposed form suggests that you know a speed hump like this is probably going to be just that, and uh, you know they might not win the title, but they'll keep Rangers on this throughout the the rest of the season. Santa's come early for the Matildas, who will receive a further 1.9 million in federal government funding ahead of the 2024 Olympics, in addition to the 8.83 million already pledged for the World Cup. The funding comes as part of the government's $250 million Olympic and Paralympic package, the first time the money has been pledged so far in advance. In June last year, the Matildas and Oli Roos were granted a combined 2.4 million 12 months out from the Tokyo Games. So, Michael, the big difference here is that usually Olympic funding is drip-fed year on year as the government's uh, in line with the government budget, basically. But uh, we've now got this money three years uh, uh, prior, basically, so they can uh, plan out camps and, uh, yeah, lead themselves to the Olympics with a little bit more clarity around what they're going to have at their disposal. Absolutely. It's very important, isn't it, because the Matildas are, um, you know, one of Australia's most favoured favorite and loved teams at the moment. Um, they're obviously... Uh, in for a very busy period over the next few months because they've got uh, a pre-Asian Cup camp in Dubai. Uh, they've then obviously got the Asian Cup in India and they go into the Algarve Cup straight after that. So they're going to be together for a little while. I imagine um, there'll be a lot of fringe Matildas and extended squad that uh, will get picked. Gustafsson will be able to use some of these funds to bring on some of the younger players maybe in the Algarve Cup and, and see what options he's got. But um, it's all upside for the Matildas and they just continue to rack up the money for the Federation. Uh, it's been very, very good. So Commonwealth Bank, government, let's get behind the Matildas. Over you know 40,000 people at Stadium Australia recently. They're a juggernaut, Rob. Yeah, they are, Edge. I mean, I guess, you know, what we've just heard you say uh, is an insight into just what getting that early money means, isn't it? I mean, we all uh, know that, you know, money in advance is something that we can look forward to, but you can't very well plan around it. So, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of expectation and pressure on the Matildas at the moment, regardless of that cash coming through. But we, uh, we just hope that hope is uh, the uh, thing that will turn into reality with this cash as well. I mean, do you do you get a sense that despite the disappointment of that recent back-to-back uh, -back, uh, series of matches against the American team that, you know, we, we are being caught up by the rest of the world or we're just taking a, a, a period to, to reset before making a run? I mean, is there a new normal appearing for the Matildas or... Are we going to actually going to do some serious damage in the next two to three years? Oh, Rob, you've asked me these sort of questions before previously. I actually think, um, you know, you, I've explained in detail that I think the Olympics is a, you know, to win a bronze, uh, finish fourth in the Olympics or play for a bronze medal was a, a false sense of achievement because the best teams in the world aren't there. Um, and you know, we are we're in the middle of the pack. We've not beaten a European team at a at a senior women's football championship ever. Ever so, we have to um, be realistic about all of that. We're big. We're you know we're, we're the big heavyweights in uh, Asia, um, the Matildas. However, when it comes to playing against European competition in the big at the at the, at the most important stuff in the world, we are behind uh, what I would consider a world standard. So I think our ranking always is a little, little higher than what it should be because we dominate in Asia. But, um, you know, th th this is what the challenge of, of, of playing the most popular sport in the world. Um, it, it's a competitive environment. And the Matildas, at least with this money, can uh, hopefully find a few players and fast track some development and, and, um, and uh, have a fantastic Home World Cup and roll into the Olympic Games and do the same. 
FIFA have told delegates at their global summit that a biennial World Cup stands to generate 3.3 billion pounds, that's 6 billion Australian, in additional revenue over a four-year cycle. They declared national associations would receive, on average, a further 12.1 million each, drawn from gate receipts, broadcast rights and sponsorship revenue. In contrast, a report commissioned by the World Leagues Forum showed the biennial World Cup would cost European federations over 2 billion pounds each over a four-year period. So there's always two sides to these things. Of course, if someone's making money somewhere one's losing it. Michael, we know where UEFA and CONMEBOL stand on this. We're going to talk about that in just a second. We also know where the African federations stand. They're all for it. But where are the AFC sitting on it, conspicuously silent at this point? Well, you know, they're, they're conspicuously silent because they're uh, going to vote for it. You know, so, um, you know, they don't want to come out and say we're voting for it because they know that uh, it's likely to bring a, an avalanche of criticism from UEFA in particular. But um, no, the uh, Middle Eastern um cohort which really does control the AFC these days because of sort of a split Southeast Asian group um, you know they're, they're all for it you know they are um, very close to FIFA for obvious reasons and um, I'm expecting them to fall in line and uh, stick their hand out I think um, the, if you look at the detail Willem um, the uh, every cycle there is a bonus payment to member federations it's about six million US dollars a cycle and they're forecasting that to go to 25 so um, I'm expecting some of the federations in Europe uh, to uh, maybe lessen their resistance to uh, this proposal because uh, they need the money, brother. Okay, well, UEFA Vice President Zbigniew Boniek has confirmed this week that South American nations will join the Nations League from 2024. Seems a bit bizarre at first. Boniek said six CONMEBOL nations will join League A, the other four will join League B, and other than that, they do not know the formula or form of the tournament. UEFA and CONMEBOL this week signed a joint agreement pledging to broaden their existing cooperation and develop the game beyond geographical zones. So that doesn't seem to me like uh, at least these two uh, big associations are lessening their opposition it seems like they're to this point hunkering down it seems that way doesn't it Willem but um, I do think you'll find they'll need FIFA approval to do that and uh, if we're heading for a war um, yeah just what happens when FIFA says if you do that uh, none of your players will play in a World Cup what happens when that happens you know so I think these things are I think uh, discretion will uh, will win the day Rob and I think they'll get their heads together and do a deal at some point yeah, it does seem a little bit weird. I know you, your response on our chat uh, was one of surprise, and uh, I think uh, you know when you when you hear UEFA President uh, Alexander Seferin uh, expressing grave concerns about these proposals earlier this year, but then uh, you know being in the middle of it um, not long after, uh, it's just a puzzling quandary to to try to make any sense of. I guess. Football politics is uh, is arcane at the best of times, but uh, this one to me just seems a little bit weird. That uh, in the middle of trying to settle down a peace after all of the drama that we've seen in the past twelve months, that this one would get thrown up. Let's head onto the pitch. A couple of big tournaments being played across the world. Firstly, in Qatar, Algeria have defeated Tunisia 2-0 in the final of the Arab Cup. That's the first time they've ever won the tournament, and it's come just a month before they'll head to Cameroon to defend the African Cup. Despite chances for both sides, the deadlock wasn't broken until extra time when 31-year-old Amir Sayoud, in just his second international match, found the net. Going to be coming on, but here come Algeria now! There is the goal! And it's the substitute with a quite glorious finish. One touch, two touch, out of his feet, and he couldn't have directed it any better. Yassim Brahimi rolled another into an empty net for Algeria with the last kick of the game, while the third-place playoff hosts Qatar defeated Egypt. Edge, the El Bait Stadium in El Cor is going to be a World Cup venue for next year, and it was rocking for this final. Uh, was that a, a ground that you took in on your travels recently? Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, I did see that stadium. It's a fantastic stadium. Well, they all are. They're all world class stadiums of the you know the state of the art, uh, latest generation of uh, technology, seating, air conditioning, hospitality venues. You name it, they are special. Uh, looking forward to seeing the um, the real stuff. But uh, I, what did capture my, my imagination was uh, back in Algiers when Algeria returned home. Um, it's fair to say, Willem, the COVID. Uh, the COVID social distancing policy was thrown out the window. It was gone. It was gone, Ski. 
A uh, bit of historical context, Algeria have become the sixth winner of the Arab Cup from 10 tournaments. They joined Iraq, who have won it four times, Saudi Arabia twice, Morocco, Tunisia, and Egypt. And a little bit closer to home, the Suzuki Cup is being played uh, by the Southeast Asian Confederation. They play it every two years, and it's nearing its closing stages. Singapore and Indonesia have played out a one-all draw in the first leg of their semi-final. The other semi-final will be contested by Thailand and Vietnam before the two-legged final is held on December 29 and January the 1st. So, Michael, back to you uh, to finish. Has that gripped the uh, people on the street in Bangkok, the Suzuki Cup? It has, actually. The Suzuki Cup's a really important tournament for Southeast Asia. Well, the, the big one for me was Malaysia not making the um, the, the semi-finals. Unbelievable. Um, so, you know, which is normally Malaysia and Thailand is, uh, you know, absolute cracking game because of the rivalry that exists between these two nations have played each other a lot in this tournament and a lot in finals but yes um willem yesterday i noticed uh um more than normal um the shirts of the elephants obviously the thai national team are known here as the elephants i saw many 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 shirts of the elephants uh, wandering around in the street so um young people obviously uh young adolescent males and, and females though who are really into football in thailand but they were showing or, or you know sh uh, sharing the love for their national team and it was fantastic to see uh, quite a few national team shirts walking around in the streets celebrating how far thailand's got to go in this tournament they're they're probably favorites to take it out actually well it'd be more than an elephant in the room if they don't michael watch oh, this space boom boom Thank you very much. Not my best, but anyway, it had to be said. Somebody had to toss it in there. Um, well, I guess we're watching, aren't we? Because uh, we want to see how Vietnam uh, fare and what kind of form they're in ahead of that uh, World Cup qualifier on the 27th of January, which uh, latest reports suggest is about 80% sold out. So uh, we'll uh, report that result for you next week on the New Year's edition of Box to Box. Okay, well done, Willem. Good start. Uh, well, the story of the past week in football was uh, was Perth getting stuck in Brisbane. Look, Tony Pinata, the CEO of Perth Glory, has been instrumental in making sure that they can get home. But the bigger picture, of course, is just how much of an effect COVID is going to have on the rest of the season. Stick around after the break. We'll talk to Tony Pinata about how that happened and, uh, and what his views are on the rest of the season to come on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is box to box, and after all this time, uh, it does get a little exhausting leading the show with stories around COVID. But we had no choice. It is uh, overlapping sport around the world, and on the, the local level, uh, in the men's A League competition, Perth Glory looked like they were going to be stuck in Brisbane over Christmas, and that was until the CEO of Perth Glory, Tony Pinata, stepped in and managed to negotiate a deal to get the players home with the support of the Queensland and West Australian state governments. And Tony is on the line with us. Uh, Tony, welcome back to Box to Box. Thanks, Rob. Mate, uh, judging by the 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 nature of domestic politics in this country over the last two years, uh, mate, you're fair dinkum, the Solomon of football to have brokered that deal. I mean, how likely did it look like uh, that the players and the, the staff were going to be stuck in Brisbane for a while there until you got this deal done? I still can't believe I pulled it off, to be honest, because when you're dealing with WA and Queensland governments, mm. um, two of the toughest and strictest governments uh in the country over the last couple of years with COVID. Um, yeah, look, it was it was sports diplomacy at its best. It was reaching out to all my contacts and doing it in a manner where not aggressive, but just pushing and, and prodding and making sure that they understood what was happening and what we would do and what lengths we would go to make it happen. So no one would be impacted. Uh, there would be no um, impact on, on, the, on the public um, and we weren't, going to get a free ride we would have to do our quarantine but do it in a in a better manner than stuck in a hotel room and most importantly before we move on pacific nyongbare uh, is still in hospital in brisbane how is his health yeah no look i spoke to him today he's fine um you know initially he had a you know sort of some symptoms and he was you know sort of tested positive um but no he is fine look they'll probably end up releasing him in the next day or so um because I think he's tested negative uh, again. So what they do is they release him then back to a uh, quarantine hotel to serve his remaining seven days. So that's that's good news. Tony, take us back to the 16th of December. How did, what transpired to 
to uh, end in, you know, um, or locked up in uh, in a hotel in Brisbane. Can you just take us through that sequence of events and how quickly it happened? Yeah, look, it's um, beyond my wildest imagination this would ever happen. We knew we would get locked out of Perth because we assume once every border opened up, there would be cases and uh, and the WA government's pretty close, quick to close the border. So we knew we would end up having to come back and do some shape of quarantine at home, 14 days. Uh, we were going to play Brisbane Raw, then go play Adelaide and then go home on tomorrow, actually on the 24th when we went to play Adelaide tonight. But um, yeah, there was a Pacific woke up with uh, some symptoms. So we uh, met, you know quickly got him tested and came back positive. And then given the nature of our travel, you know, when you're traveling together as a team, you're in the bus together, you're in meals together, they were all deemed close contact. So they all had to uh, go to a uh, quarantine hotel, get tested. They all came back negative, but they still had to serve uh, 14 days. The laws now changed, actually. I think we were sort of a catalyst to push it forward. They were, initially, the law was going to change on January 1st to seven days, if you're close contact, to bring them in line with a lot of the other states. But uh, it was still 14 days, and um, that's when I sort of started going, well, we can't have our players and staff stuck in a hotel room uh, in Christmas, and let's get them, let's get them home. And um, that's, uh, that's what we started to do. Now, how, just I mean, how difficult has been? There's been um, a bit of scuttlebutt that Daniel Sturridge is doing it really tough. You know, he, he'd actually done another stint of quarantine just shortly before. So, can you tell us how he is? And uh, we heard he was he was doing it tough. And and just what has been the impact on um, the group? I understand the hotel. It's not a bad hotel, but the, you can't open the windows. They're locked in a room, and everybody deals with that differently. I mean, you've done numerous uh, stints in quarantine through this COVID period. Can you just, first of all, tell us about your marquee player and how he's holding up because I have heard that he was uh, on a scale of 0 to 10 of grumpiness. He was 9.9. Yeah, look, you can understand, Daniel. He came a couple of weeks ago, did two weeks hotel quarantine, which, you know, we all saw on social media. Uh, But, uh, yeah, then to be out for a couple of weeks, you know, he's going to play some game time in brisbane he got to a good level of fitness um and then whack spent another two weeks in hotel you can understand why he was uh pretty uh, pretty upset and and you know couldn't believe this was happening again um but you know i, I re- told him look rest assured i'm going to do whatever it takes to get you out and get you you know free and he had his you know family coming over from uh from boston landing uh, i think yesterday in in sydney um, he was going to be stuck, so it was, it was it was a mess. And it's not something that we, you know, you want, you know, all the work we did to sign him, and then it's going to end up like this. So, you know, we not only for Daniel, but for everyone. I mean, look at Adrian Sardinero. You know, he's came from Spain. He did his two weeks quarantine a few weeks before Daniel. He's got a wife and child who don't really know Perth that well. Stuck in Perth, he's over here. Um, so there's a lot of those sort of stories. So it's imperative that, you know, we we got him out and. Um, and, and we did that, which is which is great. But no, Daniel's fine now. Um, he's uh, he's out. Um, he's uh, he went to Sydney to to meet his uh, his family, um, which is great. So uh, I'm hoping he'll uh, spend some time, and 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 then we'll uh, we'll rejoin the team soon. And what about the what's it mean for the the future of your short term fixture backlog and? I mean, what you must be working on just what's going to happen. Will you guys need to not play any games in WA for the rest of this season? I mean, what is the what's the current status of your plans? Yeah, we yeah we always knew we would be playing games in WA after February. Uh, we initially, you know, when you do the fixture, we predicted that uh, the borders would open probably mid to late January. We were hoping, and that's why we had a couple of games scheduled on the fifteenth and the twenty second. We knew we would have to play away all of December and half of January um, and then go home. But uh, the way it is at the moment, we, we can only go home after February the 5th. But with us now being in quarantine until the 30th of December, although, you know, we we are back in Perth, they still have to home isolate and there's some strict conditions around what they do and what they, um, what they can and what they can't do. So they need to basically stay home. They can't train. They can only do what they can do at home. Um, so effectively, our first training session will be 31st of December. So we need at least a couple of weeks to get back to some sort of fitness and then hit the road again, go to Sydney, play games. 
um, and then come back to Perth and play games. So we will still get our quota of home games. Um, it'll be basically some away trips crammed in, in between the home games. Um, but that's what I'm working with the, uh, the league at the moment to try and sort out some sort of fixturing that doesn't disadvantage us that much. Um, and we can still have a, uh, a, a full season. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Tony Pinata, CEO at the Perth Glory, who's uh, managed to broker a deal to get the players and staff out of Queensland to serve the rest of their quarantine back in WA. Now, Tony, you, you mentioned negotiating with the competition. Well, the clubs obviously these days run the competition, as our listeners who are all football people are, uh, are well aware. Uh, having a seat at the table in the dialogue around planning for delays and expectations for the near future. Can you, can you, insofar as I'm not asking you for confidential information, but can you take us inside the room of the discussions at the Australian professional leagues and how um, the, the planning looks like for, uh, for the disruption that, that we're seeing and, and what contingencies are in place to, to get the season underway, knowing what we know 18 months on from when this whole COVID uh, pandemic began? Yeah, I mean, even though we do sort of own the league, we don't run the league. Um, There's still some independence here. Otherwise, uh, every club would be doing what they what they want. So we, we you know, Greg O'Rourke, who was fantastic in negotiating as well with, um, you know, Queensland Health and New South Wales Health, and I did the WA side. So together we really worked well to, to, to get the outcome we wanted. But now we've asked that we, we basically, you know, sort of spend a couple of weeks and then go on the road again, um, you know, from sort of mid-January, mid play as many away games as we can. And then, you know, we've got a game in February, uh, which is fixtured against Melbourne City, play that game and then come home and we'll play probably our first home game, I think, against Central Coast the 12th or the 13th of February and we'll have a run of four or five games at home um, to, to sort of, you know, come to some sort of uh, equality in terms of home and away. But that's what we're planning at the moment. That's what we're in discussions with the league. Okay, Tony. Well, look, uh, it uh, was, well, I guess, uh, expected that something like this would happen at some point in the not too far distant future. It's happened um, less than, uh, than two months into the start of the competition. Uh, fortunately, wise heads prevailed and uh, and at least with the volume of, of vaccinations in the general public and uh, well a reasonably high level of vaccination within the playing group um, we uh, we hope that we're not going to see the kind of uh, hub situation and shutdowns and, and no crowds that um, that we've had to endure over the past 18 months uh, which is the worst of all the prospects so mate um, well done in, in getting this still sorted out and uh, mate um, thanks for coming on the show and uh, well I'm going to go with the uh, the Italian Buon Natale again. Uh, I hope I pronounced it well for you, mate, because uh, I do uh, stand to be corrected by a man of your heritage. And uh, I hope you have a have a great um, a great festive season with your family, insofar as you can actually see them. Buon Natale, Rob. You said it well. <laughs> Well done, mate. So Tony Pinata, CEO of the Perth Glory. Okay, we'll stick around uh, on Box to Box. We're going to talk Socceroos and Matildas next with Willem after the break. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great chatting to Tony Pinata just now. This is the Christmas episode. You might be listening before Christmas if you are. We hope Santa's going to bring you all the things you're hoping for on the sleigh. If you're listening on Christmas Day, hope you're celebrating in fine style or even afterwards as you're looking forward to the Boxing Day celebrations. Uh, happy Christmas, happy festive season or festivus as Edge has already declared. Before we get it stuck into Socceroos and Matildas with Willem though, our very good friends, if you haven't bought Christmas presents yet or if you forgot to buy someone a Christmas present, Chemist Warehouse is always open. So stop what you're doing because our friends at Chemist Warehouse have bop, the bop. half price vitamin sale on right now. Of course, you can get your fragrance of all sizes, bop, bop. but we all need to look after our health. So do it with Blackmore, Swiss, Caruso's, Henry Bloom's, Monica Health, all half price. Biogland, mm -hmm. Nature's Own, Go Healthy, Inner Health, all half price. Nature's Way, Life Space, Synovus, guess what? 
half price and Wagner vitamins, of course, half price. Please, plus find more half price vitamins in store and online. So if you've been overindulging over Christmas and you plan to do some more overindulging over the new year, you've got to get into Chemist Warehouse. It excludes the exclusive bulk sizes. Retail limits apply. Monica Honey is not available if you're listening over there in WA. Sorry about that. So for half price vitamins, shop at our friends at Chemist Warehouse and stop paying too much. And a big Merry Christmas to you all from Chemist Warehouse. Willem, you have a lot more as we tail out our lovely jingle created by our good mate Mikey Burrows there at Brand Music. So what do you got for us, Willem? I've got Socceroos, Amatilda Central with the Grand Gold Army. Rob, and geez, half price piqued my interest there from Chemist Warehouse. The 2022 FIFA World Cup has certainly felt a little bit more like reality over the past couple of weeks with those raucous crowds packing into Qatari stadiums. So make sure that this time next year, that can be you by signing up to the Greenagold Army's mailing list. Head to ggatravel.com.au. Make sure you're among the first to know when those packages go on sale. It's that easy. Let's have a look at the UEFA Champions League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, in fact. And Sam Kerr and Chelsea have blown it inexplicably on the last day and haven't progressed to the last eight. A 4-0 loss to Wolfsburg, Rob, sent them packing. Now, that was a pretty hotly contested group from go to woe, but Chelsea always had the inside running, so a club of their stature, and given the amount of trophies they win, will be very disappointed not to be heading to the knockout stages. Oh, absolutely. And Emma Hayes uh, was um, was vocal coming out after that match um, and, and talking about all of the uncertainty and disruption around COVID. But I couldn't quite get where she was coming from there because... You know, last time I checked, COVID affected every club in every league around the world. So, you know, it's far from um, the stature of, of someone like her to be making excuses. Um, I, I sort of felt like that she just should have copped it on the chin. I mean, it was an embarrassing result for that star-studded lineup. Edge, um, were you shocked? Uh, I mean, occasionally we see these sort of blowouts in men's and women's uh, football. But, uh, yeah, um, Wolfsburg, are, are, they're not a juggernaut team around the world. Well, I'm not surprised because, I mean, we see a lot... Uh, there's a lot of profile in Australia behind the Women's Super League in, in England because, obviously, Australian Matildas uh, figure so heavily. Hayley, Rasso, Sam Kerr, Lydia Williams, Steph Catley, Caitlin Ford, etc. But uh, German women's football is very, very good. Uh, the clubs are probably more advanced than the Women's Super League clubs. They've been around a little bit longer. Um, they've... Had a few more resources for for longer. It's only of really recent times that uh, women's football in the UK has uh, has really kicked on, and 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 the, the the bottom teams in that women's Super League are getting belted by the top teams all the time. So I'm not surprised that a German team would roll in town and um and and uh, and beat Chelsea or any of the other women's Super League on a, any given day. And Wolfsburg, if you look at the history animals, have figured in semi-finals of Women's Champions League for as long as the thing's been going around. So they're a very um, significant club in women's football. So that's the long answer for why I'm not surprised. To lose is fair enough, but 4-0 on the final match day to let a, uh, a well, knockout it, play slip, you know, that's, a... that's a surprising factor for me. But let's have a look at those who, who did make it. Arsenal are there, Lydia Williams, Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford. They will meet Wolfsburg, so they'll uh, find out just how good they are. And Ellie Carpenter and Leon will meet Joe Montemuro's Juventus. We spoke of Tom Rogic in the first segment, but I've got a little bit of a Christmas question without notice for you here, Mr. Edgeley. That is Tom Rogic's How Many Earth Trophy for Celtic, if I can get that out. Oh, that's a good one. I haven't. I don't know this, so it's a bit of a guess. I reckon it's about ten or eleven. Rob, did you want to have a guess? Higher, higher. No, no. That that. Well, given the fact that he's been there for so long, and we know that they won the nine titles, uh, he was involved in those. So, if it's higher, higher, you obviously give me a clue. Ten, eleven. I don't know. Fifteen. Yeah, that's number 16. Incredible. Mm. Maybe that's why he hangs around. Staying in Scotland, Cam Devlin continues to impress for Hearts. He's played a full game in a 1-0 win for Dundee, and he might soon have another Aussie alongside him with Nathaniel Atkinson reportedly uh, set to join him. He's reportedly been sold by Melbourne City, and I think that's not before time. Certainly one of Australian football's best talents, and I think not too long before he's uh, challenging and usurping Ryan Grant for that right back position. And to Asia to finish, Aaron Moyes played in all four games for Shanghai Port since the Chinese Super League resumed. They sit third with a little way to go in the championship round. Let's move on to the A-League men's competition. And it unfortunately feels like the week just gone, guys, is the one in which COVID-19 and Omicron got its hooks into the current season. So Adelaide versus Perth, Brisbane against Melbourne City, Sydney and Perth Glory, MacArthur against Perth, four FFA Cup matches as well have all been postponed. And the Jets and Sydney are going to be playing behind closed doors on Boxing Day. And 
we've got to take into consideration as well the fact that the matches still to this point have been largely played inside their conference system. So there's lots of scheduling still to get uh, worked around. Rob, to me, it feels like this is the week where it's become apparent that we might be headed for another break. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, we, we talked to Tony Pinata at length uh, around the Perth situation and, and the broader context that you've just described there. You know, it's not just the A-League, of course, it's the, the hype and the excitement around the FFA Cup that, uh, you know, that just builds up to a peak and that sort of local heartland uh, grassroots football really uh, gets uh, gets involved. And the disappointment of those delays and postponements then aligned to the fact that we have the uncertainty back in our lives. It, um, yeah, it's a rough time, and, and I know we've talked about it at length over the last two years. What, what, what more is there to say? It's disappointing. It's frustrating. We enjoy what we can get, and, and hopefully the administrators have learned enough over the, the last few years to, to, you know, to, to find ways to get these matches fixtured, and hopefully we'll have um, crowds in stadiums more often than not. No, well said. All right, Michael, it's time to stick the boot into the expansion sides. MacArthur and Western United. And it might seem like a strange time to do that, given they're sitting first and second on the table. The Bulls had a brilliant win. Uh, in particular, they came from a man down and a goal down against the Newcastle Jets. And Western United sit second after three consecutive 1-0 wins. So on the pitch, really can have no complaints about what Ante Milicic and what uh, John Aloisi are doing there. But Let's have a look to the stands. Western United played in front of 2,350 against Adelaide. We know why that is. We know that stadium is coming, uh, if, if you want to believe it. So we'll give them uh, a freebie for this week. But MacArthur played in front of 2,690. Now, this was a side that was really meant to be uh, Western Sydney Wanderers Mark II. And if you have a look at the uh, some of the pricing for the tickets, it's been brought up time and again, but I think we should continue to bring it up because they just don't seem to be learning from it. This Sunday, they host Sydney FC, and they're charging travelling Sydney fans $120 for a family ticket, $30 for a junior, and $39 for an adult. And in addition, it's Christmas, so they've been generous. If you spend $250 or more on merchandise, uh, you get a free backpack. Uh, Michael, uh, I don't think anyone's going to spend $250 on club merchandise, not enough to uh, to get a free backpack. Why is this continuing to be the case? Because I would have thought that MacArthur of all sides would look to having travelling supporters as one of a, a primary, or not a primary, but a significant revenue source considering you could take uh, travelling fans from five clubs. Well, I mean, where do you start, Willem? I mean, really, I mean, deep breath, take a deep breath. Just approach this issue with a bit of calmness. But what is going on, MacArthur? $120 for a family ticket when you get, like, I mean, you should be bussing in school children from all over Western Sydney, giving them free tickets, letting their parents come with them, experience the sport. You're an expansion club, for God's sake. Come on, pull the finger out, Rob. Tell I know. And, Western and Sydney, what makes it pull worse the is... finger out. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is a genuine working class area uh, in what's, you know, often considered rugby league heartland. So, yeah, it just mystifies me that that administrators don't get the forward thinking required to just paper the stadium, get as many heads in there, give the kids a chance to have some fun and observe, you know, what it's like to, to see a game like football at close hand and, and win the hearts and minds. But yeah, around this time of year, people are short on cash enough as it is uh, out during the holidays, buying Christmas presents and all that sort of stuff to shell out, you know, that sort of money for family passes. It just, uh, yeah, the finger, no, nah, not on the pulse. We're a little bit over three years on from uh, that expansion process when MacArthur and Western United got the licences. And yes, it was the past administration. We've moved on from that. But Jesus, it's just another silly, unnecessary and ugly hangover, uh, the way these two clubs are being administered off the well, field, the, particularly the MacArthur over the last little while that we've got to deal with. Yeah, crowds for Western United as well. I mean, the whole the whole idea around um, expansion clubs being startup entities, you know, we... We've covered it a little bit. What, how different would it have been? Forget the politics, forget the soccer politics, forget old soccer, new soccer, A League, FFA. What would it have been like this weekend if MacArthur was Sydney Olympic, for example? And what would it be like last weekend if Western United was South Melbourne? Yeah, yep. it's a good point. It's a good point. Each those historical clubs, you would have got the families and the generations along there um, to to see. Well, you've got a base to build from, haven't you? Really? Yeah, yeah. you do. You, and look, Can let me give you an another example from a, a rival code, Rob. Um, uh, a very good mate of mine, Campbell Rose, done a lot of work with him 
in business together at various times, mm. was the CEO of the Western Bulldogs in the AFL when they were garbage. They were getting about eleven or 12,000 people a game. He instituted a, a program. He invested in a program where he invited um, school communities from the west of Melbourne to apply to receive uh, tickets. And he would give away two to 4,000 tickets uh, a week and they had a little program. They'd all get a little pack of, um, you know, Western Bulldog sort of supporters gear. And they would come along with their parents and they would be, you know, escorted by teachers. So it was a fully a fully structured program. Um, but out of that, um, the Western Bulldogs credit uh, a very significant proportion of new members because they were able to introduce uh, their match day experience to people who would not normally have considered it. Mm, and, exactly, and yeah, and another. I think that's what it's about. And these these expansion clubs, um, you know, it's it's hard going. They're they're starting brands from scratch, and they've got good people involved, and no doubt about it. But come on, the game needs you to to work a bit harder and a bit smarter. But 120 bucks for a family ticket, 30 bucks for visiting fans. Look, the ticket should be 10. dollars That that's what they really should be. I agree. Well, and another cross-code example was that the last big event before COVID last year was the Women's World Cup final. Now, they were trying to get a world record. They didn't quite crack it, but they were selling tickets for five bucks and they had Katy Perry there and they got nearly 90,000 people. Now, they wouldn't have got 90,000 people if they were trying to sell tickets, but they won hearts and minds. They got families along. You know, I know cricket has got more money at the moment than football in this country, but uh, yeah, we we hope that there's somebody listening um, who is prepared to to make the bold decision to to reverse this kind of decision uh, because there's still time to uh, to get that done. All right, boys, well done, Willem. Uh, nice uh, little package there. We've got a lot more to cover off uh, when we bring Derek on in stoppage time, which we will do. Uh, but after the break, stick around because News Limited Journo Marco Monteverde uh, has been across the story of the Western Sydney Wanderers during the uh, the past week. And Dean Heffernan came off the long run on Twitter, as we did say off the top of the show. We're going to talk to Marco about all of this. Is it as bad at Western Sydney? Are they about to turn around? Or is Carl Robinson walking the plank? Stick around. We'll find that out from Marco next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Uh, this is the Christmas episode. Football never sleeps, though. And... Uh, a story I've been watching for a little while now, Edge in particular, has been pretty strong on the Western Sydney Wanderers and uh, their inability to to win. But we said off the top of the show that manager Carl Robinson's position to some has been reported as untenable. And Dean Heffernan came off the long run over the weekend on Twitter after the uh, manager came out in the press conference after the match and said he didn't have the answers to the club's attacking woes. So Marco Monverde, News Limited, well, we'll call him senior, veteran journo. How are you, Marco? You've been across all this. Good, thanks, guys. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty interesting, isn't it, for the for what Carl said in that pr- press conference and uh, and then Dean Heffernan's comments that uh, goes beyond that. It's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's like not a good sign. Well, we'll just recap that quote. So, so what prompted Heffern and former Socceroo, former Wanderers women's coach to make the remark was, of course, uh, Carl Robinson saying he didn't have the answers. He, so he came out and said, I can tell you, Carl, it's because JT, that's the CEO, John Satsimus, and Gavin Costello, general manager of football operations at the Wanderers, have created the most toxic environment I've seen in 20 years of football. Now, Marco, we contrast those remarks with your article uh, during the week where you uh, you spoke to the skipper, Reese Williams, who was, you know, watering down things, saying criticism's unfair. So, I mean, you've, you've got both sides and you spoke to, to Williams. What's your opinion when you put the two stories together? Yeah, he was adamant, wasn't he? Uh, mm. I was, uh, I mean, I knew he'd probably come out and say, you know, things were okay, but the, the the manner in which he said it, it was uh, as if, oh, no, everything's fine. And, you know, I guess that was that was before the, their last loss. And, I mean, at that at that time, while the record wasn't, wasn't great, um, I know, I guess the FFA Cup loss made it look worse. But as he said, that, you know, they had a lot of plays out there, uh, that night. Um, but, uh, yeah, another loss on the weekend. Like, uh, obviously, there's something, there's, there's something going on. And it's such a big club, as he said, and, you know that that and they haven't made the finals for 
for like four years. And uh, that's obviously why the supporters are upset and why, you know, like Carl, Carl Robinson was supposed to go there and fix 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 things up. Um, I think he's got the squad he wants now. But for him to come out and say the other day that um, he doesn't know what, what, what the answers are, well, it doesn't uh, give you much confidence, does it, in... Uh, in them going forward uh, this season. Well, if you're a Western Sydney Wanderers fan and you listen to your our podcast and you've just caught up to speed with what um, the coach uh, Robinson said in the press conference, we just get someone to pat you on the back and you because I know you're choking on your Wheaties as you're listening to us in the morning or maybe on your pork chop at night because it is was was crazy. Now I've got a theory, Marco. I want you to I want to test this theory with you. There's Western Sydney Wanderers pre Paul Letterer. And there's Western Sydney Wanderers post Paul Letterer, okay? The the letter at leadership reign or the ownership, if you like. Um, pre when when they were you know in the um, stable of the federation under the Lowy regime, um, you know the old Parramatta Stadium was rocking. Yeah. You know, Asian Cup, uh, sorry, Asian Champions League success. Um, they had significant mojo with recruits, uh, you know, um, and then since Letterer ta- has taken over, there just seems to be a degradation of the club in all the things they were good at. There's been massive player turnover, massive coaches turnover. Um, the, the fans have been um, a little bit disenfranchised from the club. Um, we won't mention the um, naming and shaming by some of your mastheads back in the day, uh, Marco. We'll leave that to one side. But um, I just think that there is pre-letterer, post-letterer. And the post-letterer uh, period, it's not looking good at all. And do you start to think, does this club need some sort of wholesale change that it appears Melbourne Victory went through with backroom people on their football department last year? Well, you look at the Victory um, example, and you know they hit rock bottom, and they just did the did the uh, did the did the um, sweep out, like you know not just with bringing like you know you know Popper in, but bringing Jay uh, Jay uh, Dean. Um, bringing back some of the old boys in roles. Well, they're, they're and, experienced uh, football people, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like so, I mean, does it need Wanderers to hit rock bottom to for that for that to happen, or are they are they in enough trouble now where uh, you know where it's where where it should start now? Do they do they ride off uh, this season, or do they do they give themselves till the end of the season until those similar choices are? Yeah, are made where it's just a it's just a complete uh, complete uh, what's the name clean out and they and they and they um, start again. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting few weeks, uh, especially if they lose uh, this weekend again to Newcastle, isn't it? So, um, which is Robertson's old club. So it's you know very uh, very and interesting. And Gavin Costello, I mean, um, last year at Melbourne Victory, uh, Drew Sherman. Came under all sorts of pressure in the media, and, and in particular among fan groups, about fans saying that he wasn't up to the task. He didn't have the experience, the CV, the knowledge that he was. His whole recruiting strategy was like you know something out of fantasy football. I mean, what are the fans saying about Gavin Costello? Is he a similar type of character that that you can, will will he get pressure from the fans now that this this stuff has been outed by Dean Heffernan? Will they start to? Take a little bit more interest in him about who he is, what sort of. Experience I think so. Yeah. yeah, because he's not a name, like is he? Like you know. No, he's not. Uh, yeah, so German wasn't. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, like you know, Drew Sherman used to be up at uh, um, up at the Raw as the I think he was the youth team coach, and then he ran the um, academy, and then all of a sudden he's running the football department in Melbourne Victory. So, and and like people are saying, uh, who is this guy? Although they knew his dad, who's uh, you know pretty big in Australian and and uh, you know New Zealand uh, football. But um, yeah, with Gavin, Gavin, Gavin Costello, he, he could be a target, um, as you said, of someone who may not be a big name, and the fans saying, "Well, who, who is this guy? Let's get let's like get rid of him and bring in someone who 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 is like well known, who can like do the job." Well, experience has got the CV capable to do it, and obviously, you know. Um... This tweet by Dean Heffernan is going to, has put uh, John Setsamanis right in it, and mm. um, and and the, the, these things start a bit of momentum, and eventually claim scalps. And obviously, in the you know the parallel with the Melbourne Victory, that the CEO, the football director, uh, backroom staff, coach, you know, but they all went in the end. And um, I've just got a feeling, Rob, that the smell of this is something similar is going to happen. 
Well, there is blood in the water by the uh, sound of all of the uh, the news that's coming out. Uh, this is Box to Box. We're talking to Marco Monteverde, News Limited newspapers, about the uh, situation going on at the, the Western Sydney Wanderers. Uh, I'm a Western Sydney boy, born and bred, Marco. Um, it's, um, you know, rugby league heartland uh, as much as it is football heartland. And, and that stadium, Bankwest, Commonbank Stadium, as it's known now, uh, was built for, for both codes. And uh, and we've seen in the past NRL season, it absolutely packed to the rafters when Parramatta do well. But what we just haven't seen is the capacity of that stadium really tested uh, under the Western Sydney Wanderers. I mean, we know what they did in the early days at uh, Parramatta Stadium when they were born. The the Asian Cup win, the fact that they're still the only A-League club to win a title. There's this latent support. I've got a brother who is a mad NRL fan, but he goes to every single Wanderers match and he's passionate about the Wanderers as well. So, you know, there are really hardcore fans out there just waiting for, for this to turn around I mean, I just don't get the feeling that Paul Letterer, uh, when he sees this kind of news come out, um, that he's uh, he's got an appetite to, to let it last too long. Surely if uh, Robinson doesn't turn it around in the next two or three weeks, Marco, you know enough about football and coach sackings. Uh, how much time has he got? Yeah, I think, as you just said, only a couple of weeks and a loss this weekend would make it pretty hard to, well, you know, like I don't think it'll be this week, but you never know and... It's, you know, two weeks, maybe uh, three weeks. And, you know, as you said, the Wanderers and, like, you know, the Victory, two massive clubs in terms of support. Like, the A-League needs both of those clubs to be strong to, to get, like, the fans in. And so, uh, and now that the clubs are running the A-League, there's even more pressure on, like I say, on Paul Lederer to, um, to make that call or, you know, because... Um, you can't have like you know you need you need the fans back there at um, at Parramatta Stadium like you were, you were, you were talking about talking about the old days. I was there the night when they won five four against Brisbane Roar in that amazing um, semi final. The place was like rocking, and you know to, they just I mean like the A League needs that especially at the moment with uh, you know maybe a bit of an underwhelming start to the so called new era. Do you think that? Is any chance that they can turn it around? I mean, uh, we've seen Robinson uh, do good things in other competitions. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a hardcore professional footballing man. Um, does he have it, or uh, or is he a guy that um, that even that in the A League is out of his depth at managerial actually, level? I mean, has he done well in other competitions? Yeah, he, he had a, a result. I think it was at. Uh, um, in Seattle, um, where he um, he'd uh, he'd had some um, good history prior to coming to Australia, uh, Vancouver wasn't it? Is that right? Vancouver, sorry, that's yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, maybe I mean I don't know. When he was at Newcastle, he was you know he seemed to be working like wonders, and it, that's how he got the job at uh, the Wanderers. And then he's got this squad, and he, he, like you know, last year the players he had at his like disposal, maybe he just there was like too many. He just couldn't he couldn't. Like you know, you know, like trying to keep a roster like that happy, like having guys on the bench, it's 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 like not easy. But you think with his experience that he could do that. And again, this season he got rid of he got rid of a lot of players, but there's so but he brought heaps of like talent in. And uh, I mean, there's still heaps of time. And what are they seventh or eighth? And you know, a top six finish in a in a twelve team league is it's you know you know they can scrape into the six and go and run at the end of the season. But I mean, you know. And I guess maybe maybe what's what's helping him is that some of the other clubs have made slow slow starts, like your Sydney's, your Adelaide's. Uh, there's a lot of clubs who are um, they're using the um, excuse of the of the fractured preseason, no no games, and all the COVID effects. But I mean, those excuses are going to run out soon because as we saw the other night, the Victory City game, probably the best game of the season, and uh, mm. I think I think we're getting to the to the stage now where you can't use that um, as an excuse anymore. Yeah, we can't. Um, the, the fans are there, but they're not going to go and watch rubbish, and they're, and they're not. Uh, they don't have the appetite to, to watch um, teams continue to lose. Uh, but uh, if you do start to turn it around, well, they are there. There is a latent support um, that will fill that stadium, and uh, and we will see that atmosphere back at uh, at um, Parramatta in the not too far distant future if they can get the result. Otherwise, Robinson's not long for this world, and I think we'll be talking about who's the potential replacement. Marco, mate, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Happy New Year. Um, I should say Bon Natale for a man of Italian extraction. 
and uh mate look thanks for ha- having a yarn to us as as always mate we uh, we always enjoy having a chat to your unvarnished views on uh, on football in this country mate thanks guys have a great one uh, you know christmas and the uh and the new year and hopefully um, as you said the crowds get bigger in the a league and and we see some great uh, football because uh yeah i think i think we need it yeah, absolutely, mate. It's in all of our interests uh, to see, you know, even the sides that aren't wanting to be playing entertaining football and at least being competitive. That's what we want to see. Marco, uh, we'll talk to you again real soon, mate. Uh, no worries. Cheers, yeah, guys. Not at all, Marco Monteverde. Okay, stick around. We've got stoppage time next. We're going to wrap it all up with our friend Derek Dyson on the festive Christmas edition of Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is the Christmas edition of the show. It is stoppage time. Derek is waiting in the wings. But before we do, I just want to send a shout out to a very good friend of mine. Uh, he's one of our most loyal listeners since day one. He worked with Storage King for 13 years. His name's Seb Petrino. Hello, Seb. Uh, we had a wonderful day out on Sydney Harbour celebrating the Storage King Christmas party, which, uh, of course, as a foundation member of the business, you were invited back to celebrate. And we had a great yarn. I'll tell you, if there is one person who knows more about this podcast than we actually do, it's Seb Petrino. So, Seb, to Lisa and the kids, mate, wishing you a wonderful Christmas. Thanks for your loyalty as a great listener over so many years. And, uh, and keep on spreading the word, mate. You are one of the best of good men. And, uh, yeah, we we love our, our – well, well, we'll call Seb an official super fan of Box to Box, I think. Gentlemen, Edge, did you want to uh, give uh, our good mate Seb a little shout-out? Oh, absolutely, Seb, and I uh, commiserate with you that you got to spend uh, two or three hours with Rob on Sydney Harbour there. Um, uh, obviously, you'd much prefer to do other things, wouldn't you, wouldn't you Rob? Seb is a great man. We had a wonderful time. And uh, we were hitting no, golf thanks, balls. Deep. Thanks for listening to us um, and uh, all of the. And uh, I hope you enjoy all of the football news that we bring to you from all over the. He world. even gave, he gave you a compliment too, Edge. You say so. You shouldn't be uh, um, giving me a, a raz, as well as Derek in Willem. And Derek, hello. How are you? Yes. Uh, afternoon, gentlemen. How are we all going? Very well, mate. Now we've been talking a lot about COVID in the show. Tony Pinata, the CEO of Perth Glory, and all the drama around uh, that club getting out of Queensland. But uh, it's just uh, a spectre over world sport, isn't it? I mean, you look at the NFL and the States and uh, the way that it's already disrupting so many uh, fixtures uh, throughout Europe. So so give us your view and, and update on where we're at right now. Uh, are we on the sort of the precipice of, uh, of no fans halting the competition for a period at the Premier League level? What do you think? Who'd have thought that we'd be back in this position a year on? I remember recording the Christmas show last year and we had a similar similar kind of discussion going on. And yes, we're we're back here again. And as it stands at the moment, the Premier League has decided to continue with the very, very hectic uh, Christmas fixture list. And of course, uh, you know, all the teams have got a particularly uh, compact uh, fixture list, but none, none more so. Than Liverpool, uh, Jurgen Klopp has, has made his uh, feelings known. As have Jordan Henderson. I think uh, Liverpool have got to play two games in four days at one point. And Rob, you probably know the statistics better than me. But obviously, the the Premier League has decided that of all the available options available uh, available to them, that it's best just to continue as as you as normal and. Uh, keep an eye on sort of at the uh, the situation as it unfolds, and maybe I'll just ask Edge straight off the top. Edge, where where are you kind of sitting with this at the moment? You know, in terms of the fixture list and and where where that sits. Well, I think they've got to push on. You know, um, they have to. This this look. You know, um, I've only I'm, what's ringing in my ears is Richard Masters about six months ago said that COVID nineteen had cost the the Premier League clubs uh, combined. Um, his estimate was two billion British pounds. EFL chairman Rick Perry talks about a two hundred million pound hole in the EFL clubs' finances, in particular the Championship clubs. So, um, you know, stopping games, putting pressure on television contracts, opening up the door legally for broadcasters to um, maybe give you less money. For me, you know. I know it's not all about money, but uh, they, they need to, to press on. And and because they need to press on, that brings up the next issue, doesn't it? 
why is there so many players, uh, 25% estimated uh, not to be vaccinated? And I heard during the week that Stephen Gerrard and both Jurgen Klopp both made independent uh, commentary saying that in the January transfer window, they wouldn't recruit any player that wasn't fully vaccinated into their club. So, yeah, there's sort of layers to this, isn't there? But um, I think we start with, um, I think they just need to keep pressing on with the games. And if games need to be postponed because of, uh, infections, will you postpone them and then you try and reschedule them at the best of the best available opportunity? COVID um, obviously is becoming an issue with uh, AFCON and, and I know that you wanted to talk about this uh, tournament uh, to, to be hosted by Cameroon and some of the implications and developments over the last 24 hours. Do you want to fill us in there? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously um, there's been a lot of talk about the African Cup of Nations, which I think is one of the great uh, football events uh, on our calendar. Uh, it is a very, you know, passionate and emotional and um, interesting tournament. But a lot of the conversations about the tournament uh, going ahead of or being postponed have been because of COVID. However, however, there is a, an emerging um, conflict which is uh, putting at risk the entire tournament, which is termed an Anglophone crisis. It often gets called the Ambazonia War. It's a small uh, portion of Cameroon's population speak English, and they're in a in a tribal sort of conflict with the the, the main population. But they are uh, like a lot of uh, these sort of uh, regional disputes in Africa. They well and truly off the radar because COVID seems to dominate all the news cycles. But it's getting very testy. A lot of been, people have been killed recently, and um, there's some players from some very big clubs that need to go and. Um, uh, to play in um, Bafusum, which is sort of a city in this particular area where there's a lot of violence. And um, and this Cameroon conflict, rather than COVID, actually might sink uh, the African Cup of Nations being held in Cameroon, which would be a great shame. But uh, that's just a little bit of an insight in terms of what's happening. Just when you thought COVID was going to sink it, um, it's not. It's actually a uh, almost a, like a civil war. It's not quite a civil war, but they, they're potentially suggesting it could develop into that if uh, wiser heads don't prevail. And they've already it. had to put that tournament back considerably as well, Edge. It was meant to be in 2019 that they hosted it. They then realised, or well, African African football realised they weren't ready, so they gave it to Egypt. Uh, they were then meant to host it in 2021, but it's already been put back uh, 12 months. But African football chief Patrice Motsepe, uh, he's not having any of it. He said, despite the COVID delay and despite the uh, the small civil, civil war uh, brewing, he says, I'm going to the opener on January 9th. Rob, what do you think uh, Jürgen Klopp's thoughts will be on this? Do you think he'll be losing lots of sleep that the uh, AFCON will be cancelled? Well, I guess um, from a selfish point of view, clearly not. Uh, but uh, he has been at the forefront of Premier League opinions when it comes to uh, encouraging players and suggesting it's their obligation to, to, to get uh, vaccinated. So I guess on the one hand, as a footballing man, more broadly, he uh, he probably doesn't want to see it cancelled because he wants to see players get vaccinated so that uh, the competition can go ahead. But it is a little bit too late for that. So uh he is going to um, probably benefit um, despite um, his best, let's say, altruistic um, intentions. That's my inner thought on uh, on Jurgen Klopp's view, at, um, Derek. I think there will be a whole host of managers in the Premier League and around Europe that will not give a shit whether this uh, tournament is uh, called off or not, uh, which I think I agree with Edge, though it is, a, it is the kind of light in Africa in terms of the, the top level of football. I think it's kind of condescending and patronising to think that the likes of Mane, Salah, uh, Obama, Yang, Thomas Partey, whoever it is, don't take this seriously. Uh, they're very passionate people, passionate about their countries, and I'm sure that they'll want to uh, participate uh, in this tournament. Um, talking about Liverpool, Rob, um, with a minute or so to go uh, in the Carabao Cup during this week, I definitely was kind of getting myself ready for a bit of a chuckle uh, at Liverpool's expense, but uh, that Anfield factor came in and at 3-2 uh, down in what was an absolutely pulsating game against Leicester City and, you know, some fantastic goals. I'll say James, James, uh, Chamberlain, Madison scoring the goal of the night, but then Minamino right at the end there bringing it to penalties and, and a quality penalty shootout that sent um, Liverpool through in a, in a, in a team 
that had 10 changes to it. It was a big opportunity for Leicester, I think, this one to to get themselves into another cup semi-final and potentially final. But Liverpool, Rob, they just uh, roll on. Did you catch any of the game? Well, I was listening to it on the radio on Talk Sport, as it turns out. And uh, Minamino, 95 minutes in, as you say, he was the hero. He was almost a villain there, missing his penalty. But uh, from all accounts, the the... The, well, at least the atmosphere that was coming through the radio was electric, and and the fact that uh, these, uh, um, well, let's say t- second string Liverpool side, um, you know, was put out to, to face uh, a Jamie Vardy led Leicester, it, it always looked like they were going to be on the back foot, and they were from the get go, weren't they? But uh, geez, it would have been a night to be at Anfield to, to watch the comeback and then a penalty shootout. Uh, uh, but what I'm looking forward to, uh, Derek and Michael, is the uh, the semi final date. Um, it, it, are we playing again? Uh, I think um, one of the sort of mid table teams in the Premier League, isn't it? Well, you haven't looked at the Premier League table for a few weeks, Rob, because in <laughs> fact, um, mid table sufferers Arsenal are in fact fourth in the Premier League, I know, uh, owing to. Uh, owing to us being able to complete most of our matches compared to some of our rivals. Arsenal did go through 5-1 against Sunderland. Always interested in Sunderland now, particularly after Sunderland till I die. Almost feel like, you know, I've got a little affinity with that club. And that's, hey, that's the reason why they do do these kind of documentaries with a hat trick from outgoing Eddie Nketiah, doesn't look like he wants to stick around, but uh, there'll be plenty of clubs looking at him on a free transfer when he, when he becomes available. And story of the night, though, is young 18-year-old, Charlie Patino, who scored at 18 years old for Arsenal. I've been following his progress in the uh, uh, in the reserves and the youth. Everyone's raving about him, and uh, yeah, what a what a moment for the for the young man. And Arteta was asked after the uh, the game about him, and uh, said that he just needs to be cooked slowly, as he said, probably like a lamb joint. You need to, you know, he's not going to be throwing him into the into the front into the front line anytime soon. Reminds me of uh, Paul Keating once. Uh... Ahead of, I think it was the nineteen ninety three election when John Hewson was the was the opposition leader, and he said over the dispatch box, "I'm going to do you slowly." And he did well. I, I, well, let's. I, Arteta has some very uh, kind of cryptic phraseology, and he, sometimes it's difficult to follow him. But uh, again, a great a great atmosphere at Arsenal. Uh, you know, another club that uh, fans are reveling in the kind of post COVID world and getting back into stadiums. But yes, you're right. Two, over two legs, Arsenal and Liverpool will play. I think it will start at the Emirates first, and then back to Anfield. So mm. potentially advantage Liverpool there with the home leg second, uh, and then Chelsea battled past Brentford. Own goal in the penalty, another penalty from Jorginho. And Spurs beat West Ham 2-1. Bergwijn scored a brilliant goal from Bowen to equalise. Watch that one mm-hmm. on your highlights package. And then uh, Lucas Moura coming in for the winner. And Spurs hanging on a little bit at the end there. West Ham laid siege to the goal. And that, that means that Chelsea and Spurs will now play each other in the other semi-final. That's a mouth-watering uh, tie as well. So Carabao Cup much maligned, but Arsenal versus Liverpool, Chelsea versus Spurs... Uh, gents, that is um, that is a really good lineup, and I do rate the I do rate uh, the idea of just going straight to penalties, going back to the Liverpool game, not having mm. half an hour of tedious extra time straight into the penalties. And as we, I think all the punters would have walked away happy from Anfield, particularly the ones wearing red shirts. Mm, yes, I think with the uh, impending fixture congestion around some of these COVID delays, uh, that's probably what's going to happen. Well, gentlemen, let's wrap it up there. Um, it's uh, been a wonderful year so far. We've got one more show before we wrap it up for the year, the New Year's show. But um, but uh, if uh, you're listening ahead of Christmas, if it is Christmas, if it's afterwards, we wish you from all the, the guys uh, on Box to Box uh, the most wonderful of festive seasons. We've got big plans for the year ahead and we hope that uh, you will continue to enjoy the show. Ed, do you enjoy Christmas over there in, um, in the sunny climes of uh, Thailand? Thank you, Rob. Yes, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Uh, we'll be back for New Year's show next week, obviously, but uh, happy festive season's greetings, whichever way you're celebrating uh, the end of the year right around the world and throughout Australia. Our listeners, you have a great time and let's hope that 2022 delivers on uh, a return to normality for the world and uh, we can ride a very exciting time into the uh, 2022 FIFA World Cup Qatar. It's a World Cup year next year, Rob. It and sure is well said, mate. Well, Willem, um, Merry Christmas to you as well. Oh, Merry Christmas. Thanks, guys. Excellent. Derek, and to you too and your family. 
Yeah, thank you very much. And just quickly, I've got the perfect solution for the Premier League. Just cancel the season now. Arsenal finish fourth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I agree. Thank you. And uh, Damo, for the second time on the show, bon natale, and uh, mate, we wish you and your family all the very best for Christmas. I did promise to get you on the mic uh, this week, mate, but we uh, we didn't get that done. But thanks for again for everything you've done. And thank you to all of our great listeners out there, uh, great supporters. So we've been very grateful for all of your support this year and uh, we look forward to it again. Well, next week is the last show before the year we'll still ask you again and we ask you to subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcasts follow us on twitter like us on facebook and make sure you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game